I love a song that tells the church to wake up. Wake up. We sing about the death having no victory, no sting, no power. I think that uh, is, is, can be a very confusing thing. And so um, hopefully that is some of what we will clear up uh, in the next few moments together. We're going to be in the sixth chapter of Romans if you want to turn to it. I was telling some, some folks this week that uh, you would think that Easter Sunday would be the easiest sermon to preach, right? I mean, your subject, at least, is already chosen, right? Uh, Jesus is alive. So that's, that's pretty easy. The hard part is that the entire Bible points to it. And so you've got to take this giant book and try to figure out, for today, what is the text that is going to just really make much of what Jesus has done and who he is. And so... Um, Romans 6 is where we're going to be uh, really the whole time. And uh, I, this is not going to be, and I, I feel like I always preface it, just, just kind of let you know, this isn't like a I have four points you know, type sermon, note takers are going to hate this. We're just going to let the text teach us. And so there'll be a lot of different points. And so the challenge, I think, as a listener, um, I remember when I was in seminary, sometimes you had some professors who would, they would hand out their notes and they'd have blanks in them, you know. And, uh, and, and so, like, and I know some preachers do that sometimes, too, you know, to kind of keep everybody listening. And I found that I, I, basically all I did was I was just paying just enough attention to figure out what went in the next blank, you know. And then I was just like, wait, what was it? What was it? Okay, all right. And that was it. Um, and, and so uh, this is going to be a little bit different because there may, be, there, may, there may be seven or eight different things that are all kind of related, but not, maybe not necessarily explicitly related that God wants you to hear. And so the challenge will be... To listen to me all this time and not just listen for it. What was, what was the last point? Whatever. So, uh, so I'm putting that on you. Okay, there we go. Um, in verse 1 of chapter 6, he's, he's kind of pointing back. You kind of have to read chapter 5 to understand chapter 6 a little bit. Let me just... Uh, so it's, we're just going to go slowly, you know, a verse or two at a time. First verse says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And the reason he's saying that is because he had just gotten through talking about how um, as sin just ran just rampant all over the world and all throughout humanity, as sin increased, grace increased more, like it abounded. So, you know, if there's this much sin, then there's, there's more grace than that much. And so the, the more rampant there was sin, grace just covered it. it was even, so the grace goes always beyond, you know, sin. And... And he was kind of beating people to the punch, you know, because I think uh, there are folks who are always looking for a, basically a license to just do whatever you want. And even, even in Christianity, there, I think there are times when the forgiveness of the Lord is something that we um, maybe uh, in a weird kind of way in our minds kind of try to take advantage of. And so he's, he's kind of getting out ahead of people who would say, oh, so uh, the more sin, the more grace. So how about I just sin a whole lot? So that there's even more grace, right? It just makes if God, if God, it makes God look awesome, then I'm going to make Him look really, really awesome because I'm just going to be terrible. And He's like, no, that's not the point. But if you look in verse two, He says this. It's an interesting answer He He gives. So He says, "Should we continue in sin that grace should abound?" Verse two: By no means. How can we who died to sin 
still live in it? He gives this great question, I mean, this great answer to this question. Instead of, of saying, like, if, if the question were, you know, thrown out there, so should we keep on sinning so that grace can abound even more? He didn't say, well, come on, guys. You're kind of missing the point. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? He's really saying that it doesn't even make sense. Like, your question is completely illogical. It makes no sense in light of the gospel to even ask, should we continue to keep on sinning? It makes no sense because you have died to sin. And so that's what we're going to talk about. What in the world does that mean, that you are dead to sin? In the next couple of verses, he kind of just keeps expanding upon this. Look at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Okay, and so let's, let's stop right there. So earlier in the service, Quint and J.D. were baptized. And as I said, a part of what that is, is saying is they're identifying with Christ. And so um, when someone is baptized, there's a, there's a union with Christ that that baptism is expressing. Sometimes when we do baptisms, I'll talk about you know, how like when you go to a wedding, uh, the, you aren't witnessing the moment that the couple fell in love. That's already happened, hopefully. You know? uh, that's not the moment. What, you're, what they're doing is they're, 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 there's a covenant that's happening. There's promises that are happening. There's a, there's a, a, a public uh, statement of their intentions that's happening. All those things are happening. Um, but it's representing something that has already happened, that God has already you know, connected them in love with each other. And so baptism, for Quint and for J.D., they're, they're getting up in the water and they're saying, this has already happened to us. We just want everybody to know about it. And, and we want you to see this picture of what has happened with us. We, were, we died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. We were raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. We want, to, want everybody to see that. When, when you place your faith in Jesus and what he has done, there's a, there's a connection that happens. There's a union that happens. It's not the same as marriage when the two become one flesh, but it has that same idea that you and Christ become, become one. Christ is, is, is in you and you are in Christ. Um, Jesus talks about the vine and the branches or like, a, like the trunk of a, of a tree and the branch of the tree and how they're, like, they're connected. There's a union that's there. There's a oneness that's there. And so what Paul is saying... Uh, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? He's saying all of us who are Christians, if you are a Christian, you've been baptized into Christ. You've been connected to Christ. There's a union, um, a, a literal unity with Jesus that has happened. And that's not just some symbolic thing, you know. It's not some, uh, some idea that we just like to sit around and ponder. It's a real deal. Like this has happened um, and so, to be baptized into Christ, uh, he says you're baptized into his death. Okay, well, what does that mean? All right, look at verse 4. Um, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So, what does that mean? Here's a, here's a, let me give you this idea, and then we'll look at the verse more closely. Here's the idea. If it happened to Jesus, it happened to you. 
If you've been baptized into Christ, if you have, have placed your faith in Jesus as the, the Savior of your life, as the Redeemer of who you are, as the Lord over all that, that you do um, and, and who you are, you've been joined with Him, and so you've, if it happened to Him, it happened to you. And so, on, you know, throughout Holy Week, the week that we just come out of, you know, on Thursday he had the, the Last Supper with his disciples and um, went to pray and was you know, betrayed and arrested and uh, convicted and beaten and crucified. And, and there's something that happens, we're going to talk about that in a second, that happens to him through this process. But what you're saying is, I'm united with him to the point that when he died on Good Friday, okay, when he died, I died. And when they took him down and they buried him in that tomb, they buried me in that tomb. And when the power of God raised him to life, the power of God raised me to life. What happened to Jesus happened to me. You're identifying, you're saying we're the same. And so that's what the verse is saying. Verse, look at verse 4 again. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. We'll get to the death part in a second. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So, the, so if, if there had to be some, some major points up until, up, up until this point, the first one would be that there, if you are a Christian, you place your faith in Christ, that, that there's a union with Him. You're united with Him. The second point would be what happened to Him also happened to you. And so when he died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. When he rose from the grave, you rose from the grave. Okay? So now he kind of continues to expand upon like, some of these same thoughts. Look at verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. That's kind of a beautiful verse. If there's been unity with Christ in His death, it is a certainty that there's unity with Christ in His resurrection and in the new life. Sometimes people will say, "Like, what's the big deal about the resurrection part of everything? Like, didn't wasn't it just that Jesus had to die for the sins of the world?" Well, yeah, but the resurrection is our certainty that his sacrifice was accepted by God the Father. So on Friday, he dies. He, he um, takes on sin, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but what happened on Friday is validated by what happened on Sunday. Our first song tonight was, It is finished. So Jesus says, It is finished. There's no more wrath. There's no more punishment. There's no more sin. There's no more death. There's everything that I can do as a sacrifice, I've done. It is finished. And he died. And on Sunday, the father said, yep, it really is finished. And here's proof. Whoop, raised him from the dead. That's how we can know. There's, there's a certainty with that. There's a lot, whoa, there's a lot of, of confusion in our world about who God is and how can you know this and what's right and what's wrong and this and this and this and this. And how can you know? How can you know? How can you know? And for Christians, our certainty comes from knowing that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. It's a certainty. 
Hundreds of witnesses watched him die. Hundreds watched him be buried. And hundreds saw him walking around afterwards. And hundreds were baffled. And many of them were willing to be persecuted to the point of death. Because they're like, no, I saw this. We're not making this up. That's the thing. People will go along with a hoax until you start crucifying them. And then they're like, no, 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 no. It's making it up, making it up. And they didn't do that because they weren't making it up because it was real. And so if we've been united with him in his death, it's a certainty that we are united with him in his resurrected life. So there's a confidence that comes with Easter. You know, I heard someone say one time, one time that, that there are, are songs that you sing, and, and, and uh, I know like everybody's not a hand lifter, and that's okay, but, but there are, are songs you sing, and you're singing like this. You know, your hands are like this. Sometimes they're like this. And there's sometimes they're like this. Yeah. I think Easter's one of those like, yeah, you know? Like it's confident. Like you're like, no, I'm not like, you're not like, please do this or whatever. You're like, this has happened. Like it is finished. And that last song where it says, in strength you reign. Every time I line, I'm like, oof, just chills everywhere. And so it's a big deal. It's a big deal. So what does it have to do with death? Look at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Alright, now we're going to leave that verse up. Here's where we, I think, start to understand the whole death deal. Now, when, at the beginning of the verse, it says, we know that our old self, what does it say specifically? Our old self um, was crucified with Him. Alright? If you look at the old self part, here's... I want to give two explanations of what that means. One, you, one you've maybe heard before. One you've probably never heard and may not make a whole lot of sense. But I think it might, so we'll see. You can let me know later. Uh, their old self, let's, let's go back to the beginning of, beginning of the Bible. Uh, you have Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve made a choice. And they chose their own way over God's way. And yeah, you can blame the devil, or you can talk about all this kind of stuff, whatever. But that, the bottom line is, in the Garden of Eden, they made a choice. They said, we think we know better than God. And when that happened, something shifted inside of them. And, and that shift was that they, they basically died spiritually in that moment. Like the holiness of God, when you sin, His holiness destroys Destroys sin. It does. And so when they made that choice, they died spiritually. And so death entered into the world in that moment. Adam and Eve were like the the intention of God. Like we were created to live eternally. That's how He made us. On purpose. So in that moment, when that shift happened internally and they died, death entered the world not only spiritually but also physically. And so the reason why we, we grow old and die... And the reason why we get sick and the reason why all these things happen is because of sin. It all goes back to there. And all throughout the whole Bible, um, the, like, the Spirit of God is just pointing back to Adam. He's saying, you're born in Adam. Because through that one sin, death entered into the entire world. 
Through that one act of disobedience, everybody has been paying the price. And so not only did they die spiritually, but also when you're dead, you are like you're you have no options. It's one of the hard things about death, is just it's final. And so they had no options anymore. They became enslaved to that death and to the sin uh, of their choice. And so you look throughout the Bible, and the, a great example of this is you look at, at, at Israel, you know, as the people of God. It's like they would, they would have these great moments of repentance, and they would come back to the Lord, and they would say, you know, like, you are our God, and we are your people, and they would be submissive and humble. And then, like, they would mess it up. And they'd return to Him, and then they'd mess it up. And there's just these cycles of obedience and then just complete disobedience. And, and God does this really interesting thing, and Paul talks about it in the chapter before this. God, He gives them the law. He gives them, like, the Ten Commandments, right, and these laws. And He's like, okay, do these things. And the reason why He does that is to prove to them that they can't. Like, it, seems, it might seem kind of strange, but... But think about it. You know, like I use different examples, something like that. Like I'll say, okay, whatever you do, don't think about the number seven. You can't do it. Like you, you can't. All you're thinking about is the number seven. And you're trying not to, and you're like seven. You're like I don't want to think about seven. Um, keeps coming back to you. And that's kind of what the law was, where he was like, you know, thou shalt not murder. People are like, man, all I want to do is like kill somebody right now. Like, I don't understand. Every time I get mad, that's where I want to do. When when God says, don't do this. He was doing that so that you would recognize, like, man, something is broken inside of me. Like, there's something that, that things are not connecting. As humans, we don't realize that we're spiritually dead. And so God puts the law in front of him that functions like this big mirror. And he's like, hey, let me show you what your soul looks like. And eventually, people will start to be like, man, there's a, there's a problem here. That shift led to death. And when you're dead, you, have, you can't choose the things of God. You're enslaved to that sin. And so what the law did, it was just in, intended to create this cycle of sin to the point where the people said, look, we need some divine intervention here because we can't do this. And God says, exactly. I'll send someone. And, and this is where he's going to be born, and this is how that's going to work. He's going to come from this lineage, and this is going to happen, and um, he's going to be despised and rejected, and um, this and this and this, and this is going to happen, and, like, and they're going to they're kill him. He's going to be the sacrifice, not a temporary sacrifice, a once-for-all sacrifice. And they're going to kill him, and I'm going to raise him up. And he told him everything that's going to happen. And that's why when, when uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that's why people started to panic a little bit. And they started killing you know, the babies and stuff like that because like, people knew, like, hey, something big is going to happen. Something big is going to happen. And when Jesus came in on Palm Sunday, everybody went crazy because they're like, this is it, this is it. And then it's a great picture of what happens when people, when you don't meet someone's expectations, they kill you. That's what happens. And so on, on Palm Sunday, they're like, he's the one, he's the one. And then that's what happened on Friday. They're like, kill him. He lied to us. He didn't meet our expectations. And then the dude's walking around a couple days. You're like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe there's something to this guy. And so that enslavement to sin that we see in the very beginning of time, when Adam and Eve were dead, spiritually, and death had entered into the world and they were going to, to die, what happened is they, they started having kids. And that was passed to those kids. So kids were born spiritually dead as well. Because when you're dead, you're dead. 
and then their kids inherited that death, and their kids inherited that death, and on 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 and on, and then you were born. Guess what you inherited? Spiritual death. So you were born spiritually dead, and you were born enslaved to that. And that's why every one of you, when you were a little, like a little baby, if you weren't fed on a regular schedule, you screamed your head off because you were selfish. And that's why when you were a toddler, any adult that ever watched you had to deal with your selfishness. They took your toy away. Because we see it in little kids. We see that nature and that enslavement that's there. So even from the very beginnings, it starts to be very evident that we need a Savior. We need a Redeemer. We are enslaved to this. And so what Paul is saying in this verse, we know that our old self, okay, that's your spiritually dead, enslaved to sin self that you were born into, um, that that old self was crucified with Him. Then when, when we say that we are identifying with the death of Jesus, we're saying we died with Him. Like that, that's, that nature, that spiritually dead nature, that enslaved to sin part of me that I was, was born with, but also perpetuated the more I just chose myself over and over and over and over again throughout my whole life. All of that was placed onto Him. And not just for me, but for you and you and you and you and you and you and you. That every lie you've told and every time you've stabbed someone in the back and every uh, inappropriate thought about someone that you had, and like every sin, every action, every, every thought, every uh, intention, every, everything that you've ever had was placed onto Him on that day. That there's this exchange that happened. And so, Jesus comes in and He says, tell you what, I'll take all that stuff, I'll take that off of you, I'll, I'll have it placed onto me, and then I'll take my righteousness and I'll put it on you. We'll just, we'll trade these there. And not just for you, but for everybody, He did that. And so, it was all placed onto Him, and then... God, instead of killing every one of us, instead of that kent, that His holiness destroying us as the carriers of that sin, it was all put on His Son, and then He just killed His Son. No big deal, right? No, huge deal. Biggest deal ever. So there was that transfer, that exchange. And so when Jesus died, guess, guess who else died? I died. Jesus took that old self on himself and then God killed it. And so I get to live. Jesus died. But on that day, we both died. If you're in this room and you're a Christian, you died on Good Friday. Christians all over the world died on Good Friday. That's why we celebrate it. That's why we come together in this room and we turn the lights off and we let the sun go down and we have a candle going and we sing songs that are we're mourning we're mourning our sin and our we're grieving that as an acknowledgement of the darkness that came upon the world that day and so he says our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing okay the body of sin meaning 
the, the ruling body of sin over us, the thing that was enslaving us would be brought to death so that we could no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, For one who has died has been set free from sin. That's the first, that's the first explanation. Let me give you another one. That uh, This is the one that may not make a lot of sense, but I'm going to try it anyway. So, most popular TV show right now in America is The Walking Dead, right? And some of you are like, can't wait to get home tonight because it's like the season finale and everything. So, uh, but The Walking Dead is a show about the zombies. You know, so if you don't watch it, I'm not going to give a whole lot away. Uh, but it's your typical, it's a typical zombie like TV show, except it's just incredibly well written. It's character driven and it's incredibly gross, also at times. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's good, it's good stuff. So. Um, <laughs> So with zombies, I know there's like variations on things, but, but basically, um, everybody is a carrier of this virus, essentially. And so when someone dies, after they die, this, and this is, kids, this is not true, it's all made up, okay? Uh, when someone dies, the virus, I guess, comes to life somehow. They turn into a zombie, and then they like walk the earth, right? Like looking, you know, for food. So, um, and the only way to, uh, to eliminate them is with some sort of trauma to the head, right? So, like, cut their head off or whatever. So, that's kind of the, the general premise. And so, um, in The Walking Dead, there is, there is this killer virus that everybody has. And it is completely destroying society. And the entire United States is just, like, completely crumbling because of this virus. Uh, so maybe think like bubonic plague, you know, the Black Death, something like that. That there's this carrier of something. Um, if you could take, if, if that were real, okay, if that was really what was going on, if there was a way that, there were, that you could be like, okay, how about this? How about we take that virus out of every single person and we just put all that virus into one person, kill them, and then when they, like, come back to life, cut their head off. Then you've killed the source. Right? Like you've killed, like, the virus died with whoever that person would be. Right? Take all the viruses, put it in one person, kill them, and kill them again. And they can't contaminate anyone. Everybody else can keep living their normal lives. In a kind of weird way, that's what Jesus did. I told you, it may not make sense. But the very thing that has been, that has infected humanity and is, let's, is destroying Everything. It's destroying people. It's destroying families. It's destroying animals. It's destroying nature. It's the reason that we have earthquakes and hurricanes and tsunamis. It's the reason we have diseases. It's the reason why... I mean, you name anything bad and that's the reason why. Jesus says, I'll take all this 
out of you, you put it on me, and then you kill me. You've killed the source. And so the Father, the Son, and the Spirit came up with this genius plan to deal with this problem. So Jesus shows up. All of our sin transferred to Him. He gets killed. Sin is dead. And since you, if you're a Christian, you died with Him on that day, then your sin is dead too. So in the beginning of the chapter, when He says, how can someone who's dead to sin keep living in it? That's why he's saying it makes no sense. It'd be like if, if that whole virus deal went down and all that happened, it was transferred and that person was dead and there were people who still like, acted like they were zombies. You'd be like, what are, you, what are you doing? The virus is taken care of, man. You're just, what's wrong with you? That's what Paul is saying. It's like, why keep on sinning? Why, you're dead to sin. Why would you, that doesn't even make sense. Jesus died, you died. Jesus was buried, you were buried. When the Father rose him from the grave, the Father was saying, guess what, man? That, that stuff's dead. Raised to walk in new life. So, verse 7. One who has died to, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. That's a big statement. Death has no, no longer has dominion over him. And what we're saying is if we've identified ourselves with Christ, we've in union with Christ, that means death has no dominion over us too. It means death used to have the final word on things, and now it does not. That, yeah, we all have our concerns about death, but really, let's be honest, it's probably more about like how we're going to die than it is death. Because if you're a Christian, man, death is like the goal, right? It doesn't have dominion over us. We're not, we're not freaked out by it. And if you are freaked out by it, if you're a Christian and you're freaked out by it, it's, let, let the Lord process you through that. But it doesn't have dominion over Jesus, so it doesn't have dominion over you. Verse 10, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Okay? One time for all. That there's no more, there's not like another sacrifice that needs to be made. And so don't get in this weird pattern where you kind of, where you start to beat yourself up because you're still struggling with some stuff and you stumble and fall sometimes. Guess what? Jesus does not have to come back and die again. You know, for you. It's covered. He died one time, and he's big enough to cover everything. Once. He died once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul says that, that's how you've got to think about yourself. Dead to sin... Alive to God. Your sin died with Christ. He rose to walk in newness of life. You rise to walk in newness of life. And if Jesus can, can take that and He can free you, if He can take death that entered the world through one man and, and infected the entire world through one 
act of disobedience, death entered the world. Through Jesus' one act of obedience, righteousness enters the world. That's, that's how it works. It's like this one, once and for all kind of deal. He took care of it. And so if we sit around and we're like, man, I wonder if God can help me. I really wish, I wonder if He can help me through like this depression. It's like, yes. Yes, He can. He took care of death. So He can handle depression. You know? Like, man, I struggle with lustful thoughts, you know, since I was a teenager. I wonder if he can help with that. Yes. Yes. He uh, took care of sin and death. He can handle, he can, he can deal with that. It's not, it's completely possible with him. He died so that you could walk in new life. So how about you consider yourself dead to sin? Uh, because guess what? You're not enslaved to it anymore. You're not enslaved to it anymore. You were spiritually dead and now you are spiritually alive. And when you are spiritually alive, anything is possible in the hands of the Lord. That's how He works. That's what He does. A lot of times we just we, we get in the way. We complicate it. We come up with all these excuses and we kind of muddle things up. And you know what? Jesus is big enough to handle us kind of getting in the way too. He's, he's a, he understands that. And He's far more patient with us than we are with ourselves sometimes. And there's this thing called progressive sanctification. And what that means is like He has freed you from that, but the problem is you don't really know how to think and function as a free person all the time. When you've been enslaved to sin for so long and you place your faith in him, it's not like you, you know, like quantum leap into like some like new life where like you're like now like everything's like completely different. He's like, no, we're going to go about this process. And every single day, uh, you're going to become a little more like me and a little more like me and a little more like me. That's how it works. It's, it's progressive. You're progressively becoming more like him. That's, that's his plan. But... Even on the first step of that progressive sanctification, guess what? You're still dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That doesn't change anything. And that's what he wants to do. He to gradually teach you day by day by day how to live in the freedom that he provides for you and what he's done. We couldn't free ourselves from our enslavement. Jesus did. Only he can do that. And so I don't, know, I don't know how this lands with everybody in here. You know? I would imagine it lands with everybody differently because we're all different people. We're all at different points in life. We all have different you know, whatevers. And what's awesome is that Jesus is completely able to meet you where you are. I say this all the time, that, that Jesus says, hey, come to me just like you are, but don't plan to stay that way. He doesn't say, you better get your act together and then you can come to me. He's like, no, 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 I come, come just like this, but you just need to know that if you walk with me, like, there's change coming to you. I'm going to teach you how to live alive. You've been enslaved to sin for so long, you don't know what it's like to be free, but I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you, and there's no better teacher. So that's why, that's why Jesus has done what he has done. That's what He wants for your life, is for you to walk in the newness of life. He wants to bring us all back to Eden. Before sin and death entered the world, we go back to this idea of, of complete, a complete relationship with God that's filled with holiness and goodness that never, ever, 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 ever ends. And so in Christ, we come full circle. We're really just going back to Eden all the time, all the time, all the time. And so wherever it lands with you... Uh, I would just encourage you to be responsible with that. Uh, we, don't, we don't have um, you know, a, a time to like 
walk, walk the aisle and have a big altar call time. And not that I have a problem with that. It's just not how we do things here. Um, when you look in the New Testament, they pretty much they just presented the truth, and people either took it or they, you know, or they didn't. And that's kind of how, how we are. I just really would encourage you that if you, if you want to talk about stuff or you want to deal with something, plenty of people here would love to talk to you about that. So you don't have to leave wondering, or if I gave you more, more questions than answers, then you know, that's fine too. i uh, love to talk more uh, about that, but, but really the ball is in your court as far as what you do with the things that we've sung and the things that you've heard and how this lands with you. Um, it's really between you and the Lord. And so what we typically do is we'll, we'll sing as a part of processing some of this stuff and just responding to the goodness of who God is. Um, and then we'll pray and we'll go. Uh, so I would just encourage you in the next few moments, before we dismiss and the rest of your day continues, to spend some time just letting some of this stuff sink in and, and really asking the Lord, God, why did you bring me into this room tonight? Because it's not random at all. Uh, so let me, let me pray for us. Let's, let's stand together as I pray. Lord, admittedly, um, some of these things, are, they're so hard for us to, to fully grasp. But Lord, we can, we can connect pretty easily to the fact that, that the world is broken. That something has gone wrong. And we can also connect to the fact, God, that we, that we can't change our own condition. That we are in need of divine intervention. And so, Lord, we, we gather tonight to just publicly point to you as the one who came from heaven to step in and fix all of this. That you are the only one who could free us from spiritual death and raise us to walk in newness of life. You're the only one that could break the the chains and, and free us from the bondage of sin to be able to walk in freedom. And Lord, for those who aren't sure if they've identified themselves with you or not, if there is a union there or not, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them in these moments, you would assure them that it's, there's, it's not a big hocus-pocus, mysterious thing that needs to happen. It's just, a, simply, it's just a, a simple prayer of saying, Jesus, I need you. I believe that you're the one that has come to do this in my life. And, and I choose you. I see you as the Redeemer, and it's, you're the one that I want. And Lord, for those who, are, who have made that union with you, Lord, I pray that you would, would help us to see ourselves as dead to sin. That sin would not be something where we're continuing to see it as having some power over us. It, it's, we've died to sin. And we've been raised to walk in new life, which means walking with you step by step by step. And Lord, we acknowledge you're the only one who has done this. That we have not earned this. That you willingly stepped in and you alone get the glory and the honor and the praise. So let's just spend the next minute or so, just, just you and the Lord, 
And then we'll sing here in a second and just respond.